0: Growing up in Green Bay, Wisconsin as a 10-year-old boy, you have one dream, and that is to play for the Green Bay Packers. Regardless if it's Brett Favre or whoever the next great quarterback was at that point, I knew that that was my goal, was to be the next great wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. And when it came time to Thanksgiving, of course, football is a big topic of conversation, but also it was time for the Colburns to go do our annual tradition. We would go to the newly created Lambeau Field Atrium to help serve Thanksgiving dinners to homeless people and to those that were underprivileged that were having issues or just needed a place for a good meal for that holiday. And we did this for a couple of years, but the first time that we did it, I remember waking up feeling like it was like it was game day. like I was going to go onto the field and there was going to be this Thanksgiving football game that all of a sudden 10-year-old Baxter was going to get thrown into to go do, but. When I walked into the stadium for the first time as a 10-year-old, I looked up, and as many of us even still now do as adults, you look up and you just see the majestic place that is Lambeau Field, and getting to find the opportunity to go into the kitchens, to help with the meals, to help with serving, uh, just to have fun. Now, I was was realistic. I knew as a 10-year-old, okay, you're not going to go play football in this moment. But there was one thing that I knew I could be competitive at as a 10-year-old in Lambeau Field. And that was bingo. Now, if any of you have ever played bingo, especially in the state of Wisconsin, you know this isn't just you know, a game that you play for fun. This is hardcore. You have five cards out in front of you, and you're playing for big prizes. And that's exactly what Baxter was trying to do at 10 years old. I had my five cards laid out on the table in front of me, and I'm checking them, I'm checking to see what Susie's got next to me and what Ant over there's got, and we're, we're figuring this out, and I'm fighting for a Green Bay Packers prize pack that as any 10-year-old boy would want, you're just, you're excited for. And I'm waiting and playing and waiting and playing. and Finally, finally the number comes, the number I've been waiting for. The announcer yells out, B4. For anybody that's ever won at bingo before, there's that half a second that you're just, you're like, that's me, that's me, I won, I won. So sure enough, I slide it over and I shoot straight up, and I'm like, bingo! 500 of my closest friends in the atrium, as it was tradition, would all clap for whoever would win. So as a 10-year-old boy, there's nothing greater than the entire massive room clapping for you as you run up to the front, and they check my score and shirt. Sure enough, so I grab my prize pack, and I go back, and I sit down. and It's just that that moment of euphoria for, for anyone that's ever had something happen like that. But obviously, as much as it was all about the bingo, it was also about serving. It was about... The meal that took place after bingo, and getting to sit around a table as a, as a young kid to, to hear stories from people from all walks of life, to experience what was going on and the lessons that I could possibly learn outside of just being a really good bingo player. For those of us that are here for the first time this morning, I want to introduce myself. My name is Baxter Colburn. I am the family life pastor here at Lakeside, and I'm thrilled that you're here with us this morning. My plan is to have some fun, and not completely burn the church down while Brian's gone, so hopefully you can help me with that this morning. As you all know, the holiday season is in full swing right now, and today we're going to take a look at a couple passages in Scripture that will act as our guide as we look to reclaim the table this holiday season. See, the table is not just a place to eat, but rather it's a place that, where relationships can grow and can take place and can foster new ones as well. We see this all throughout the Bible, even throughout history as well, that food and having meals together play vital roles in the history of us, our existence, the world as a whole. So if you have your phones or your tablets with you, um, I recommend that you pull those out. We're going to be in Genesis 2.16 right away this morning. If not, you can follow along on the screens. But I want to jump into Genesis first because even since the very beginning of time, we see that God places a big emphasis on food. So in verse 16, we see this. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. See, just two chapters into the Bible, into the history of the world, God already knows and he understands the power food has, and he makes sure that Adam and Eve understand that as well. Arguably, one of the greatest meals that take place in the Bible is the Last Supper. We see Jesus telling his disciples that he is going to be crucified. One of them, one of his very own, his followers, are going to turn against him and ultimately betray him and lead to his death. And of course, we see that Jesus, among many other times, feeding the 5,000. And just the countless other times and meals that food play in the history of the Bible and just the history of the world, there's countless times I'm sure we can see even just in the history books where a treaty was signed over a great meal or other big moments in history happen because somebody served a meal or there was food present. And if you look all the way at the end of the Bible, you see in Revelation 19.9 that each of us is ultimately working towards one specific thing, and that is to get to the greatest meal that we can possibly have in all of eternity. So as we look in verse 9, this is Jesus' disciple John talking, and he says... And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lord. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So each of us that has accepted Jesus as our Savior already has an invitation to the greatest meal, and that is in heaven with our God. I don't know about all of you, but that is a meal that I want to be at. Speaking of meals, just as an interesting side note, Since I've started working in ministry a couple of months ago, it's been a weird phenomenon that I've noticed. And that is that since I've become a pastor, people have asked me to pray for more meals. Now, I don't mind. I think that's completely fine. But it's funny to me that when it's time for the prayer, people will naturally look at me as kind of a, well, go on. (laughs) Do it. You're the pastor. Say your pastor things. Now I just I want to do a little bit of a spoiler alert for you. As much as those of you may think this, Brian and I don't have these magical prayer superpowers. It doesn't matter if it's me or if it's you or if it's you or if it's you that says the prayer at the meal, as we learned a couple weeks ago from Brian, it doesn't have to be this grand production. It's the motive, right? It's the motive behind the prayer. And I think some of my favorite mealtime prayers come from the mouths of kids. My three-year-old Beckham, I've I've just volunteered him to basically pray now at every meal because I know two things. One, I get to eat Liz's cooking way faster, which if anybody's ever had Liz's cooking, thank you. But also, you know it's going to take about six seconds. So Beckham will say, Dear God, thank you for the food, thank you for Mom, for Dad, and hopefully he remembers his brother. Amen. That's it. We're done, we're on our way, and we're eating. But it's the cutest little thing, right? And it's, it's this awesome moment as a parent that you can see. But I also find that one of the more tense moments for those that maybe don't pray as much or don't pray at all at times around the table, it's one of the more tense times at a holiday meal. For some reason, especially around holidays, even if you don't do a lot of prayer in your family, all of a sudden, there's this thing that, oh, we have to pray. It's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, it's Easter, Grandma's here, we should pray. <laughs> okay, sounds good. But remind, let's all go back to our 10-year-old selves. And what are you doing as you're waiting for the prayers? Because you know, you know Grandma or Auntie is going to probably get all the food set, everyone's going to sit down, and you're going to turn to you, Jimmy. Would you pray for us? (laughs) Ten-year-old Baxter was not a fan of praying at the table, and if you were like me, you were probably secretly praying and pleading to God that you were not chosen to pray. But how many of us still do this today? If you've ever had an opportunity to ask a group of middle or high school students to pray for a meal, like I do on Wednesday nights, it's always one of my most favorite activities because I, we're always so grateful for those that have provided meals uh, for us. And this is my t- time to also, if you would like to, you can donate meals to student ministry. So thank you for those that have done so. And if you are interested in doing so, feel free to let me know. But it's always fun. So once the meal is served, I look around the room and I say, hey, would anybody like to pray for the meal? And more often than not... Dead silence. And that's fine. But how many times do we do that as adults as well, right? It doesn't matter if you're youth or if you're adults, people for some reason just have this weird qualm when it comes to wanting to pray. And that's okay. And it always, like I said, it will fall on one or two people that have just always done it. Not a big deal at all. But on the flip side of that, when you get into a room where everybody all of a sudden wants to pray, how do you solve that problem? How do you figure out who gets to pray? because it can be a great honor, of course, especially if it's a holiday meal and everyone's together. So I have have a way for you now that Thanksgiving's happened, but now that Christmas is coming up and we're going to be having more meals, I have a video I want to show you just to possibly help you settle this debate. Take a look. I'm excited to eat food. Very excited. Hey, come on in. Food's ready. Let's pray. One, two, three. <laughs> ah, <laughs> too slow. One, two, three. Chug. Done. Woo! Yes. One, two, three. Go. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord. So that might be a bit extreme. Possible ideas, though, to try out at the family gathering. I think I just I have this vision of the Durst family with all of their kids. I could see this going on. And I want video footage if you do that, Ders family. So I have a question, though, for you. As you see that, as you see the importance of praying around the table, though, and it should be a pretty straightforward question, though, why do we pray at the table? The answer is pretty straightforward, and that's to show gratitude and thanksgiving for all that God has provided to us. See, when we give thanks, we recognize how good God is and the blessings that he gives us, right? We need to give God thanks more for our blessings. I think it's important to be honest with you and to note that, as we've seen in recent history, that I'm not a perfect person, as Brian has shown you by making fun of me many times. And here's another one just to log into the catalog for you. But for many times, even up until a couple months ago, um, I was not the best at praying for our meals. That's why Beckham doesn't now, but that's a side point. Um, But I would do one very critical error every time we would pray for meals. I would forget to thank God for the food. I'd say thank you for my wife, for our house, for whatever it was that we were praying for, for my kids. And I'd say amen, start digging in. And any husbands that have ever messed up, you look across the table and what do you see? (laughs) What? What? I I said thank you, we're eating, we're on our way. For Liz would call me up, she'd be like, you forgot the food. What? What do you mean I forgot the food? I didn't forget the food. We're, we're praying and it's all done. So sure enough, I started to think about it more and I tried to be more conscious about this because she's like, you're forgetting the food. Like, okay. So the next meal we'd do it. Sure enough, I would finish and be like, I forgot to pray for the food. So needless to say as any good husband, I've changed my ways. I've learned to, number one, listen to my wife. I didn't just learn that. That's why I've been married for more than five seconds. But I've learned that now, most importantly, we need to thank God for our food. And I've changed the way that I've prayed because of that, because as we all know, everything that we have comes from God, ultimately. I think a great conversation starter, though, especially that many like to do is I think we've, we've done this many times and we've had these conversations. It's just a good icebreaker question as well. Is Who are people from history, or dead or alive, that you'd love to have a meal with, right? And all of us have our lists of former presidents or religious figures, musicians, actors, favorite pastors, whoever it might be, we all have our list, right? But my question is to you, though, is what about people that you actually know? Would you invite your aunt or your uncle that always talks about politics and how there's the swing state of this, or Ohio is not? No one cares right now. But do you, do you, do you invite them to your table? Or what about the neighbor that borrowed your tools and magically still hasn't given them back? Raleigh, see me after service. <laughs> what about that person? Or what about your grandparents that like to nitpick how you raise your kids? What about your sibling that's struggling with addiction that you just haven't seen for a while? Or what about a parent that ultimately mishandled money or some other situation that ultimately led to your parents divorcing? What about you? What about all the good things and all the bad things that you've done in your life? If they were all laid out on a piece of paper with no name on them and you looked at that person, would you invite that person to the table with you? See, here's the good news, regardless of what your answer was. Jesus eats with everyone. He even ate with tax collectors and sinners. It didn't matter who it was. We see Zacchaeus being called down from a tree and the Pharisees freaking out on Jesus because how could you eat with such a person? He does this all throughout Scripture. So my question is, if Jesus can eat with anyone, including us, What is holding us back from doing the exact same thing? See, we celebrate numerous events every year that are all centered around big meals. We have holidays, we have graduations, baptism sporting events, whatever it might be. So we need to use those opportunities to reclaim the table and use those events as outreach. Each of us gets 21 meals a week. Why not use those? Why not put those to good use? A couple of weeks ago, we had an awesome opportunity for those that are here at Lakeside that are 60-plus for our friends' giving. And it was really cool as being three times younger than everyone in the room. But it was really cool. I'm joking. It was really cool to sit around the table and listen and learn and just feel out how everyone has done life. And that's one thing I've prided myself on since I've been married, since I've had kids, is to look to those that are a generation, two, three, four generations ahead of me to say, hey, how have you done things? What have you learned? What have you messed up on? What was it like? Those are questions that I think are so important that we forget to ask sometimes. And Friendsgiving was just a cool experience to sit around the table and talk to people and just do life for a little bit and learn cool things. Uh, Even things as simple as, you know, did you have an iron in your house growing up? Little things that you just take for granted that it was cool just to see how people are nowadays. And when it comes to hosting, when it comes to meals, the Colburns love this. Okay, Baxter loves this. And I love entertaining. I love having people to our house. I'm a I'm I'm an extrovert. If you've never met me or you're just watching me right now, it's obvious. I'd like to think that I'm a very outgoing person. I love entertaining. I love having people at our house. And Liz is phenomenal. She will plan everything. She'll cook everything. Five minutes into the gathering, she's on the couch asleep. She's just, that's not where her energy is. She does a lot better at just the initial starting point of everything. And that's totally fine. But I'm not here to to rag on or make fun of our relationship and that, I'm here to say the fact is it's the people that we have to our house is what makes such a cool opportunity. And this is something each of us should look at. It shouldn't just be your kids or it shouldn't be just your immediate relatives. It should be single people. It should be couples. It should be families. It should be elderly. It should be neighbors. It doesn't matter who it is. Because a lot of us need to stop the whole surface-level talk. There's so much more that happens under here than that's not on the surface. We need to dive deeper into much more real conversations with people. We need to do life with people, not just a, how's it going, good, awesome, have a nice day. What did you learn? Did you do anything in that exact second to make your life or that other person's life better? So each of us can show hospitality in our own way, whether we have a big house, a small house, an apartment, a trailer, it doesn't matter what we have. And we don't need to aim just to entertain. We need to look to foster relationships. And we need to look to help each other grow. And speaking of fostering relationships, if you have children currently at home or even out of the home, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 has a message specifically for you. Check it out here in verse 4, starting. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. See, families are so vital. And each of us have been in a family at some point or other, regardless of what your situation is right now, regardless of how close or not you are with your parents or your siblings or your kids, whatever it might be, families are so crucial to a community. They're they're vital to a church, they're vital to a country, they're vital to everything. And when you take time as a parent to pour into your kids, That is where you can start to grow and foster these bigger relationships. And one of the best ways to do that is mealtime. So we try to have at least four or five meals together a week at the Colburn's house. Dinner time specifically just because for those that have ever had young kids, you know that they wake up at all areas of of the morning. Lunch, obviously, I'm gone. And then we've got all these other crazy things going on. But it's dinner time that you get those opportunities to focus in and you get to see what's going on with each other's life and if you've ever had a conversation with a three-year-old, you don't know what you're gonna get. I literally don't know. When I walk in the door with Beckham some nights, I'm just like, you did what? And I look at Liz and she's like, I don't know where he got any of that. I'm like, fair enough. But why, why are we not utilizing this time more? Why are we not working harder to grow together and to grow closer. This was always a focus for my family growing up. I was raised in a... My mom was 100% Italian, um, so there was that Italian flair in everything that we did, but mealtime was always a, everyone comes together. And I was raised in a time, I can finally say this, I was raised in a time, we didn't have cell phones. Mm. So I couldn't be Instagramming mom's eggplant parmesan much as I loved it. I couldn't. There's no pictures of it, and I'm okay with that. I didn't have to hit any hashtags or anything else with it. I'm okay with that. But we made sure that there were no phones at the table, and we do this even now as parents. I get home. I try to keep my phone either in my, in my jacket pocket or I try to just keep it in another room because I want to be present as I'm sitting around a table with my family. We make sure that the TV's off. And we make sure that we have all of these distractions removed. Because that's when you can really start to reset and really start to grow together. And now, I don't know what your houses look like, I don't know how your eating situation is, but this is just a suggestion from my perspective. So don't think that I'm standing up here saying this is what you have to do. This is what I've found in my life and what I've seen in others that have had good success. It's so important to eat around a table. Not taking your plate and sitting on the couch, TV on, not taking your plate and going back to your room or your office. It's when you actually come together around a specific thing, a physical thing that all of you are facing each other. That is where it actually starts to go. That's where the relationships can actually begin to grow. Now, I know all the middle schoolers and high schoolers in the room are probably saying, yeah, but that means they're going to ask me questions about school and my life and dating and spirit. You don't have to have high-level, you know, earth-shattering conversations every time you get around the table. But get to know your family. Get to know your kids. Get to know your friends, whoever it might be that you're doing life with. Get to know them. See, my kids are growing up so fast. Beckham's three going on 30 Rio has just turned one as well, but he already is just light years ahead of what I feel like a one-year-old should be. And that's not a humble brag, that's just as a parent. And I'm sure all of you that have had younger kids, you understand that it's like, but you were just, you were just here. How are you here? Like, it's ridiculous. So I'm, I'm realizing that my job and my duty as a parent is to help lead my children to God. That's my main focus. And right behind that is helping these students of Kiwanee County do the exact same thing. And that's hard. <laughs> that's hard to do, right? Because you've got your own agenda. You've got your job. You've got your life. You've got your goals. But it's so important, and I stress to you, even if your kids are out of the house, even if you don't talk to your kids very often, just make an effort. Just make an effort. My parents got divorced when I was 16, and it took a long time to repair things. But I'm back to a good relationship with my parents, with my mom, with my dad. And I just am so grateful for that. And I encourage every one of you. I don't know what hurt you've got going. I don't know who said what or what did what. But start the conversation. Just start it and see what happens. God is a good God, and He will do crazy things, as we've seen, especially when it comes to the power of prayer. So where do we go here from today? What, what now? What are we supposed to do? I think first it's important to remember that everything that we have comes from God. His blessings are beyond our ability to repay. But while you're thanking God, He's giving us even more blessings. Recently, we had a a moment in student ministry where we talked about Jesus and the 10 lepers. And most of us are relatively familiar with it. If you're not, it's an awesome story. I highly recommend looking into it. But the flyover is that there's these 10 lepers that Jesus and his disciples spot, and they realize that it's Jesus, and they come up to him, and they say, you know, please help us, essentially. And Jesus says, go show yourself to to the high priests. And as they all start walking, they start becoming clean. They become healed. And only one actually stops and turns back and comes back to Jesus and says, thank you. He actually stops and says, thank you. It's not that the other nine were not thankful, but it was the fact that one took the time to come back and stop his life for that second to say thank you. And I challenged my students on this, and I'm going to challenge you on this as well. How often do you forget to do that? We see what Brian said a couple weeks ago. We pray and we pray and we pray. And when God finally answers our prayer, usually it's like, cool, on to the next thing. I finally got what I wanted. I got that new job. I got that raise. I got that whatever it was. That diagnosis was was removed. We're we're good. We're in the clear. Do you say thank you? Parents, you know you're going to your kid, right? If they don't say thank you, give them a sucker, a little something else, like, hey, Hey, thank you. I just did this thing for you. But how often are we forgetting to ask and thank our Father for those very little things? See, the table is such a great place, especially this holiday season, that we can work and grow together as families, as new relationships. It doesn't matter who it is. And I know some of you are saying, okay, you're talking a lot about families. It's, it's in my title. It's kind of what I have to do in a good way. But even if you even if you're a single person, even if you're elderly and you decided to never have kids or even if you just don't have kids, that's okay. Invite people into your home. Have conversations with people. We went my wife and I were home visiting her family for Thanksgiving and we just went to go visit a friend that just had a new baby and 10 minutes into the conversation of just how you know how are you doing the typical things you ask a new mother There is this hard pivot into, hey, I'm going through some really big stuff right now. And you all of a sudden shift. It wasn't the plan. It wasn't the intention. But all of a sudden, we could feel like God said, nope, I need you right here right now. And we had no intention of having this big, deep conversation that we were then able to come together and pray and just try to help any way that we could in that situation, But God lets you do those things when you get out of your own way and you ultimately do what he wants you to do. So I I highly recommend that, especially wherever your life is right now, finding little ways, finding things that you can do to get together and to get back into reclaiming and resetting your table in whatever capacity that that might be. And as as we heard earlier, Jesus eats with everyone everyone doesn't matter good bad or otherwise so i i ask this question to you who can you invite into your home to share a meal with and get to know better there's a lot going on in december there's a lot going on some of you might not have a choice you might just be snowed in sounds like a good time for some hot cocoa and some conversation to me My challenge for you for this month of December is pretty straightforward. Find at least one or two meals in your week that you for sure can eat together as a family or can have somebody else join you. And I get it, everyone's in a different season of life. But I highly, highly encourage you, you've got 21, 21. You can't find time even just for one or two meals to do it with somebody else. It doesn't have to necessarily be at your house. But can you find time to do that? Can we all work together to grow, to reach other people, and to ultimately gather this holiday season to do more and to be thankful for God for all that he's done for us? God, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to come together just to have the chance to to be here. For those that are in the building this morning, Lord, I thank you for them braving the elements to be here, and I just pray that we all find time this holiday season to work on reclaiming the table, to find ways to to grow closer together as family, as friends, as a community, Lord. You are good, and you are great, and I am just amazed at all the things that you do. We pray, Lord, that as we go into this time of busyness, the chaos that is Christmas, Lord, that we take little moments throughout our day, Lord, throughout our week even, just to stop and say thank you for the good that you do in each of our lives, big or small, and we ultimately ask, Lord, that we never lose focus of that in the busyness of life. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.